I was of that song. It's just, uh, I don't know, memories. Uh, yeah. Well, folks, um, we're going to uh, discuss the basics tonight. And I um, don't know why I'm tangled up here. Start over again. Okay, now try that. There we go. All right. we're, we're good. Um, we're, we're dangerously close to turning the discussion of the Holy Spirit um, going from basics to details. And, um, and that's the opposite of basics. There's a lot more that can be said about the Holy Spirit and a lot more that we'll never understand. And that's good uh, because we don't want a spirit that, that we can... Um, whittle down and water down into, into nothingness. Um, it is an active uh, presence of God that changes lives. And that's what we see uh, in Acts, uh, the, the first few chapters after Pentecost even. So uh, to begin with, I'd like to take you to Luke chapter 4. Now, a basic about the Bible that we have is that Luke and Acts are by the same writer. And it says so right at the beginning where uh, he's writing both of these to Theophilus. It might be scroll one. It might be scroll two. It might be book one. It might be book two. It might be that one is the gospel and the other is the sequel. Uh, but it's the continuing story. And for some unfortunate reason, when the, when the editors of your... Uh, of your Latin Bible came together and put all these books together, they stuck John right there in the middle of it. And I know offense to John's gospel, but it just it, it 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 hurts those of us who like a certain order to things. You know, it's like why don't we just do Matthew, Mark, John, then Luke, Acts, and then we can just go right into it. But uh, now the biggest problem is is that you have to move between these two. Uh, but Luke and Acts should go together. And that's important because sometimes if you're trying to understand something in the book of Acts, it will help you to go back and find uh, the, the material in, in Luke, in, in the gospel of Luke. Because in, in Luke, you see Luke giving us this, this understanding of Jesus and what God was doing in Jesus Christ from the time of his birth to the uh, time of his ascension into heaven. And, um, and Luke has gathered the accounts of the eyewitnesses of the people who saw it, the people who lived it. Then in Acts, he's also uh, gathered the, um, the accounts of the witnesses, and he himself seems to be one of them, at least for part of it. And um, he... Um, he follows a pattern, though, that you see, okay, what Jesus did when he was here between his birth and his ascension, he, the same thing is happening in and through his body, the church. He's, they're continuing the mission and the work and the presence and the identity of Jesus in the church. So we're going back to Luke chapter 4 so we can see what Jesus did, does at the beginning of, of his ministry after he's tested in the wilderness, and in chapter 4, verse 14, 
Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. This is his hometown congregation. We were talking about memories. This is Jesus going back to the hometown congregation. Of course, you know, they, they remember too much. Uh, he stood up to read it, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. Now, now, by the way, when we hear, and he sat down, we think, okay, that's it, he's done. No. In, in their culture, when you, you, you stand up to read, and then when you sit down, you're sitting down, you're ready to teach. You teach from the chair. You teach from the seat. So now when he sits down, he's, he's, he's beginning his lesson. Uh, might as well translate that. Then he went up to the pulpit. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Oh, and everyone spoke well of him, and they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you'll quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, and you'll tell me, Hey, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Well, truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah wasn't sent to any of them. He was sent to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Translation, Gentile country. Uh, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Naaman the Syrian, the outsider. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this and they got up and they drove him out of the town and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Okay, so here's Jesus making uh, a, a, a two general statements, you know, two important statements. One, reading the scripture from Isaiah, Spirit of the Lord. That means the Spirit of the Lord is empowering him to do so that all the things that's mentioned there, hope for those who are on the outside, uh, hope for those who have no hope, recovery for uh, people, uh, change of life. I mean, if you're blind, you have no hope, no option, but then the Spirit brings healing to the blind, recovery of sight, all of this, this, this change because it's the year of the, the Lord's favor. And the second thing he points out is he says, you know, we can get rather comfortable here. This is my paraphrase of what he's saying. We can get rather comfortable as insiders and in the days of Israel, uh, you know, they didn't respect the people who came in the spirit of the Lord. That is the prophets. Instead, they rejected them because they were too close to it. And it's the outsiders who benefited from that because they're the ones who trusted in what the Lord brought to them. And that, that really upsets the crowd. Now, that's Jesus. Luke chapter 4, the beginning of his ministry, a word about the empowerment of the Spirit. If we move over to Acts, uh, the day, after the day of Pentecost, and uh, it's rather unfortunate, we've brought the Spirit out on the day of Pentecost, often in our history and in our understanding, 
uh, Spirit shows up at Pentecost, and we talked about this uh, last time, and you have the tongues of fire and the... Um, have the uh, the understanding, the reversal of uh, the Tower of Babel, and the people come together, and now they can make a name for God, and God brings understanding that our human cleverness will never bring us. You know, God brings a unity that our ingenuity and our human determination can never really give us, and um, we talk about that we get to repent and be baptized at the end of chapter two the people are convicted the church grows and then it's sort of like christmas we wrap the spirit up in a box and stick it in the attic you know it's like spirit did what it needed to do okay good we move on because now we need to go on to how to build a church all right but before we do that we ought to note that the spirit continues to to do some things. The Spirit of God is continuing to work among these, these ordinary people. And in fact, that's the observation by the so-called professionals, by the so-called learned scholars. Like these are untrained, ordinary fellas. Um, you know, in, in the vernacular I grew up with, they'd be saying, these guys are hicks. I mean, you know, what is the deal? They're a bunch of they're a bunch of hillbillies and weed benders, and look at them. They're out there, and look what they're doing. You know, there's something going on here, and that's exactly the point. It can't be ignored. So we see that in, um, uh, let's see. Okay, you have a summary there in 242 through 47, uh, Acts 2, 42 through 47, and Luke is fond of these summaries to kind of catch you up. He's, he's moving quickly through all of the growth and development that's happening in this community of God, this new Israel, this, uh, you know, what happens at Pentecost brings all the people together, and it continues from there. It's just starting. Chapter 3, uh, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Notice that there's no rejection of Israel. They're going to church. They're going to the temple. Let's go pray. Here comes Peter and John. We're going, they're doing what the people of Israel do. They're doing what, uh, they're, they're followers of Jesus because they believe Jesus is the Messiah. They're still going to the temple. Here they come to pray. A man lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those who were going to the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Now, remember, what did the Spirit of the Lord in Isaiah 61 that Jesus read, what, what did Jesus say about that? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and there's good news for the poor. Um, there is, uh, you know, the, the, the lame can walk, the lame shall walk, right? And uh, the blind can see. So you have to stop here if you're Peter and John and you're going to the temple and you have to say, wait a second, were those just words? Was that just a lesson of Jesus? Or is there something really to this? And, of course, this man, his solution is money. Now, he's not just a beggar with a cardboard sign. This is his only option. He can't work. He cannot make a way for himself, so he has to rely upon the kindness of others. Now, Peter and John are faced with something here. And, and by the way, you know, one of the, the toughest um, questions that's often out there by people who are struggling to believe is, 
if God is real, then how can he allow this in the world? This is that moment. The, the Peter and John option is one that doesn't sit comfortably in our so-called um, you know, rational, sophisticated world. But by the way, Peter and John are not, they're not wizards, okay? They don't show up and it's like, ha-ha, you know, here's a chance to perform a magic trick. We'll just, you know, produce our magic wand and you can walk. No, they, all they know is they're servants. They're just, they're, they're, they're kind of, um, they're, they're kind of like prophets, but not really. They're, they're sort of uh, unprofessional, unlicensed prophets. They're just agents. I mean, they, they, they're witnesses is really what they are. They've seen all of this. They've seen what the Spirit can do. And so here they are confronted by this man asking for money. Peter looks straight at him, as did John, which, by the way, is, is already humanizing. It's like a human, you know. They, they're not just tossing coins at him as they drive by, as they walk by. Um, Peter says, hey, look at us, because the man's probably not looking at them. He's got his head down in shame. Uh, it's, it's terrible. And, and you'll remember from John's gospel that uh, there's an occasion where there's a man born blind and Peter and John and the other disciples say, Jesus, we have a question now, theological question. This man was blind from birth. So did he sin or did his parents sin? <laughs> and, and Jesus says the answer is none of the above. What if this happens so that you can see the glory of God? They've remembered that lesson at this point. Uh, so they say, look at us. The man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet. He began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. I mean, this isn't some, you know, wobbly little first steps. He's in there. The poor fellow starts dancing. No wonder the Pharisees and Sadducees get all upset. It's like, well, they start he healing people, and, you know, it's going to turn into a honky-tonk in here. They're all worried about it. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the glory of God. They see this. They witness this. They know that something is happening here. And all of this is the sort of stuff that Jesus talked about looking back at the prophets. Now, a couple of observations before we get to Peter's word. Because you need to, you know, we stop at the miracle, but let's keep reading and see what he says. First of all, um, Peter does not consider the, um, the ability to share the healing spirit of God something that he has to hold on to or hoard or, you know, give grudgingly, it's unlimited and he shares it freely. How very different is that when we go about the business of making money the solution to all problems? Because we can throw money at problems and instead of helping, we'll hurt. Uh, there's, there's so many stories that come from this and uh, the... Um, one of my favorites is one from the Middle Ages, and I can't remember exactly who it is, but it's one of the, uh, the, the, you know, the old Catholic scholars. Anyway, they've gone. They, it might, 
in my mind, I always want to think it's Francis of Assisi, and that makes sense because he took a vow of poverty. And, you know, if you find out different, you can correct me, and, and I, I, I should have researched it. But the, I just, it doesn't matter. The story is what matters. So they go in, and he's got his, uh, you know, his uh, assistant, his friend with him, and they're looking at the, the glory of Rome, the Vatican, and all of the, the, the gold and silver and the, and the riches. And he says, look here, Brother Francis, no longer can the church say silver and gold, have we none? And Francis says, um, neither can we say rise up and walk. Now, you see, if you trust in money, then the spirit may not be available to you. You don't know how to manage that resource. And the only way to manage the spiritual resource is let it go. Just hand it out because it's God's. It's not something that we control. Now, this is exactly what Peter says in verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John and all the people were astonished and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? I really wish that somebody had just, you know, a uh, beggar, lame from birth, uh, couldn't walk. Peter, what do you mean, why does it surprise us? This doesn't happen every day. And Peter says, but why does this surprise you? But it's not the healing that he's concerned about. He says, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. In other words, Peter's saying if you had paid attention to Jesus, you would have seen stuff like this happening all the time because of the Spirit that was on him that proclaimed the year of the, goods, uh, the Lord's favor. So, um, he said, you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Now, we're witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Peter's focus is on Jesus and on the spirit that rested on Jesus and on that spirit of Jesus that has not gone away but continues to work among his people. In, again, in John's gospel, maybe this is why John's gospel is stuck between Luke and Acts. And so in John's gospel... Um, Jesus says, now when I leave, the Lord's going to send you another comforter. And this other comforter is going to be with them always and everywhere. And here, Peter is letting them know that this spirit remains among them. That, that what God did in Jesus, even though they rejected it, they couldn't stop it. And that becomes the good news, the gospel that they, that they all hear. Um, after Jesus in Luke chapter 4, is rejected in the Nazareth synagogue. You find him after that doing exactly what the scripture said. He's healing. He's opposing evil, casting out demons, uh, setting the prisoners free. You find him uh, proclaiming the Lord's favor, the Lord's good news, and... and uh, and, and hope and teaching, you find him doing all of those things that the Spirit empowered him to do. Peter's message here in Acts chapter uh, 3 is that same Spirit that empowered Jesus is the same Spirit that continues to operate. It's the same Spirit that's present and active. We are simply witnesses to that. 
And they're telling this beggar, but they're telling everyone else, because of what God did in Jesus, because of his faith, because of his righteousness, you all have access to this. Now, not to manipulate it, not to use it for your own purposes, but to share it freely and to give it away the way this man wanted them to give away their money and maybe grudgingly and count it out is what you would do with money, but with the Spirit, you give it freely. Now, before we start to think, oh, wow, I don't know. I mean, this Spirit's just going everywhere. Yeah, but at the same time, this Spirit is not just something that, uh, you, know, we, uh, you know, we share like... Um, you know, uh, well, you know, like just money throwing it out the window. No, it, it's, it's much more than that. Uh, if we move on to verse 23, chapter 4, verse 23, Peter and John actually run into quite a bit of trouble for this, of all things. They've done a good thing, but there's a question about what they've done because this is out of the ordinary. And it's out of the, you know, in some ways they're looking at it as this is ordinary in the kingdom of God, but it's out of the ordinary in the kingdom of the world. And so they run into some trouble. And the problem is not the healing and is this possible and does this work in an enlightenment scientific universe. That's not their problem. Their problem is who gave you authority to do this? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's uh, wait, who said you could go around healing people? And uh, no one's worried about the fact that the poor man is healed. I mean, it's like, okay, well, he's healed. But who said you could do that? And, uh, and so they, they, they ask that question. And Peter John, they have an answer. It's not us. We didn't do this in our own name. We did this in the name of Jesus. Just like he said we could. Just like he said it was okay to do this. So there's a question of authority there. Uh, and, and then when the, when the community of believers get together and, and, and pray. Um, they raise their voices in prayer to God. Verse 24, uh, Acts 4, 24. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. By the way, if you want your faith to expand, start all your prayers this week with that phrase, okay? Before you say, oh, Lord, I need this and I need this. And just stop for a second and say, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. If you start right there, you're going to say, what am I worried about? And, uh, and then you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed one. They're struggling with the problem that there's opposition to God. Who opposes God? Satan opposes God. He's the adversary. He's the enemy. And all of these nations that don't acknowledge him as, as the Lord... And yet, the, the leaders of Israel are acting just like those nations. But they're putting it all in perspective through the psalm. And uh, so they ask the Lord in verse 29, consider their threats. I mean, they just hand the threats over to the Lord. They don't say, uh, we're really worried about this. They're saying, uh, Lord, we're going to send that to your department. Uh, you take care of threats. We are in the obedience business. Uh, and you enable your spirits to, or servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, the Spirit empowered Jesus to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here, they're being equipped by the Spirit for proclamation, just like Jesus. Healing, just like Jesus. Proclamation, just like Jesus. 
they're not asking for safety. They're asking for the boldness to keep proclaiming because they know that there's no guarantees. And besides that, they serve a resurrected Savior and the same power that rose him from the grave is going to overcome death. They're not, they're not troubled by this. It's like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll just get on with our business. And so in verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal, perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And look what happens in verse 32. After the Spirit breaks out, don't skip verse 31. After the Spirit breaks out, another one of those summaries. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they have. Uh, the money problem gets taken care of. It's like, whatever people need, we're not, we're not going to be grudging because we've got something even better. Um, and so everyone's sharing uh, stuff, which leads to our next encounter with the Holy Spirit, which is a bit more grim, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. And they trust in money more than they trust in God, because they hold it back and they lie. Um, in verse 3 of chapter 5, Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not just lied to human beings, but to God. Now, we emphasize the fact that, you know, Ananias didn't have to give all of his money, and he could have held some of it back. And again, we're so worried about the financial part of this. There's the part that has to do with the truth. And if one of the things that the Spirit of God is associated with over and over and over again throughout Scripture, Luke's Gospel, certainly John's Gospel, it is the truth. The Holy Spirit has to do with truth. And when we speak the truth to each other, there is understanding. This is what happens at Pentecost. There's understanding. There's no, there's no misunderstanding. There's truth. People hear. They understand. Uh, Jesus says that you'll be dragged before these uh, rulers of the earth. Don't worry about it. The Spirit's going to give you the truth to say. You're going to testify to the truth of who Jesus was. Ananias and Sapphira are bringing into this community of believers a little bit of lying. And that's the poison, the real poison. Yes, there's some greed there. Yes, that's, uh, that's part of the problem too. But it's that lying and it's that, it's that, um, that hiding and that denial and by the way, Peter doesn't say that he lied to them. Peter doesn't say, you've offended me. Peter does not summon the Spirit of God to cause their death. He's just a witness to it. There's, he realizes, hey, you don't have to deal with me. You have to deal with the Holy Spirit. Are you paying attention to what's really going on here? Some people say, well, I'm glad that doesn't happen today. I don't guess it. Oh, okay. Or does it? It just maybe doesn't happen as quickly. Uh, the thing is, we have to pay careful attention to because this Spirit of God is holy at the same time. It's not just a magic power to go around, slinging it around, healing people, and whoo, isn't that great? Look at us. It's all God's work. And we trust in Him. It's His Holy Spirit. It's His power. This terrible, horrible thing, and Peter grieves it. Uh, uh, that, that uh, you know, And they... <laughs> Uh, you can tell that they grieve it because they, they give this uh, poor couple a decent burial, and, uh, and it's respectful. It's like, this is a terrible thing. You don't, you don't lie to God's Holy Spirit. 
Notice verse 11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. In other words, now people know that what's happening there is both good news, but it's also an incredible power that you don't toy around with. Well, then we have another summary about the apostles. Again, what are they doing? They're healing people. They're being persecuted. They're opposing evil. They're opposing Satan in the hearts of those. You know, God is not going to allow Satan to creep into his new Israel and and taint it like that. Um, Verse 32, uh, we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. This is what uh, Peter says to the uh, to the Sanhedrin, and there's that spirit of truth. Uh, in chapter six, the Holy Spirit empowers other leaders. Leadership is not just something that then gets contained with the twelve. They trust. They trust that God will call others to lead. And uh, what prompts it, and this is wonderful, is a little bit of a, a church fight in chapter six. It wouldn't be right on for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God and other to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom, and we'll turn this responsibility over to them. We'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. It's all because the, um, the Jewish people who had Hebrew roots and the Jewish people who had Greek roots, there was, there was a little bit of a cultural tension there. They felt like, you're ignoring our widows and... You're not taking care of them. Again, that's the money problem. You're not distributing the food equally. The money problem. Instead of, this is just like Peter and John and the beggar at the temple gate. Money's going to solve the problem. Ananias and Sapphira, money's going to solve all of our problems. The Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. The money's not being distributed equally. Our widows aren't being fed like their widows are. At every point, the church trusts more in the Spirit of God than it does in the money that they can use, acquire. It's not about the money. It's about the Spirit. So what they do is they say, you know what? Why is this all coming back to us? We're going to empower you to take care of your own. And by the way, did Jesus do something like that once where he's teaching and they said, these people are hungry, we need to feed them. Mm, yeah, well, you feed them. Oh, we won't feed them. You, know, you, you go feed them, God will provide. And that's exactly what they do here. What's fascinating is, uh, once they empower these seven men, who are all Hellenistic uh, Jews, by the way, the next thing we read about them is not uh, you know, how they organize the food pantry, but the next thing we read about them is that they're out doing what? Everything that Isaiah 61 said that the Spirit of the Lord empowered Jesus to do. They're out proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. They're out proclaiming the truth. They're out uh, uh, bringing uh, good news to those who are out. By the way, Philip is one of these. He goes to the Ethiopian eunuch. Do you understand that the whole point of the Ethiopian eunuch is he's got two strikes against him? He's Ethiopian. He's from the ends of the earth. Jesus said his witness would go to the ends of the earth. He's a eunuch, and eunuchs were not allowed in the temple. So even though he's a God-fearer, he's considered less of a man, and he is not allowed in. So when he says, hey, here's water, why can't I be baptized? He's not 
I mean, you have to hear that differently. He's not just saying, well, here is water. What prevents me to be baptized? Nothing. He's saying, here's water, but I'm used to this. Tell me why this isn't going to work. And instead, Philip says, you're in because you trust in Jesus. Not because of me, not because of anything else, but because of the good news about Jesus, the year of the Lord's good favor. And, uh, and again, that's Philip who gets empowered to wait on the widows in his own community. And, and Stephen is martyred for telling the truth. I mean, he goes from, uh, why don't you organize the food pantry to, why don't you give your life for the truth? And you'll get to see heaven tore open and you'll get to see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And, uh, anyway, we, we, we continue on with what the Spirit is doing. And, and one more um, moment, like I said, we're dangerously on the line from going from basics to details. But here is this amazing story of the people in Samaria who, um, you know, if you're, if you're Jewish, the Samaritans are sort of like us, but not exactly. They, they know too much about our customs. They're the kinfolk, you know. They, they uh, you know, it's like they're, they're the kinfolk, but they're not the church-going kinfolk. They're the ones that, you know, smoke cigarettes and drink beer and all that, you know. But they're still family, and you gotta, you got to accept them, you know. And it's like, but boy, we don't like being around them. But God's bringing unity to all of this. Okay, and so here comes Simon the Sorcerer. See, that's one of their problems. They have, they have wizards up there with them, and, uh, and, and, and he follows him around. He's following Peter around, and uh, verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. There's the money problem again. He said, hey, give me this ability so that then everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. That kind of stuff doesn't go on anymore. Oh, if you have access to the Spanish-speaking uh, television stations, and you're going to say, "Wait a second, I don't speak." Some of you do, you know. I don't speak Spanish. Don't worry about it. Uh, my son and I are watching it last night, and and there's there's a whole channel, a whole info commercial. I mean, we have info commercials on, you know, uh, osteoporosis and how to, you know, or or something like that, and all these things, you, you know, to, that are going to help you live a better life or, you know, get fit. This whole thing is about a, um, uh, a gypsy who will uh, take curses off of you and everything. That's what the whole thing's about. And this is the 21st century, and you can call. And I will tell you this, though. Here's the thing about it. It's in the fine print when you're watching this, and it's like, that is amazing. In the fine print, the price of the consultation is $250. Wow. Give me $250, I'll take care of your curses. You know, I'll, we'll do that. But this is Simon the sorcerer. He sees a racket here. And he may even be well-intentioned, but he's saying, wow, if I can give out the Holy Spirit, then I'm going to be an important guy, and people will pay me for that. And so tell me what it costs. I'll make it up next week, you know, is what he says. And Peter says, this is the problem. He gets a little salty here even. Uh, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of, the, of, of God with money. Yeah, may your money perish with you is tame. You know, what it says in the original language is he goes, you know, you, need, you and your money need to burn in the fires of hell. He says, this is not the way it's done. And, and you, can you blame him? I mean, he just saw Ananias and Sapphira fall flat for this kind of stuff. He's like, I don't want to go to another funeral, man. You know, don't do this. <laughs> and he says, we, we can't do it like this. This is the Spirit of God. It's free. 
And how dare you think that this is some commodity to be bought and sold. It's not for sale. And he says, you need to repent of this wickedness, pray to the Lord in the hope that he'll forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Uh, and uh, they, um, uh, again, and then you, you get the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. The, the, the tone of Acts changes then when Saul comes in. But you'll see that the Spirit is involved in, it is a resource that is given by God. It is not for sale. It empowers the church. It isn't something that anyone in leadership can command and control, but they all trust in the Spirit. God determines how powerful and how effective and how noticeable the work of the Spirit is going to be. It is His Spirit, not ours, to command and control. It it has to do, as in the ministry of Jesus, with proclaiming the truth, with uh, repentance, uh, because when we're confronted with that truth, we are called to repentance. It has to do with healing it has to do with good news uh and it has to do with opposing the evil that exists in this world but in the case of simon the sorcerer the evil that exists even within us and um to say that 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 work of the spirit in those simple things to say that that has somehow discontinued well then what are we left with all we're left with is human effort when you read romans 8 and I think you see this in Paul, Paul seems to understand this, that um, the new life that we experience is because the Holy Spirit indwells in us and it changes us and makes us new. Now, we'll have more to say about that in the future, but like I said, we, we need to uh, uh, make a line here between the basics and the details, and, um, and we'll continue because one of the things that now that we understand what God is doing and what we see God did in Jesus and now the Holy Spirit as we move into the basics, one of the basics is that you and I live a very different kind of life, uh, freed from sin, uh, saved from sinfulness, saved from ourselves. As Peter says in his sermons in Acts, saved from this wicked and corrupt generation, from the, from the wickedness of the world that we live in. We have a hope that does not make earthly sense, that does not make worldly sense. That's what this good news proclamation is. And that means that you and I, even though we, um, we are sinners and we sin, we can repent and be cleansed of it, just like he told Simon the sorcerer. We'll, we'll pick up there uh, in the future here. But right now, we're going to uh, sing this uh, song. And uh, if you need to partake of the communion in room 100... That is prepared for you right now. So let's stand, let's sing, and we'll be dismissed in prayer.